Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. That's greenlight.com ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, this is Deborah. We recorded this episode at the amazing Hay Literary Festival last year. I was so looking forward to going but I ended up having a horrendous diary pileup and I needed to be working on a television show on the same day. So I sent two wonderful people in my place, Nat Latsima and Yasmin Abdel-Majid, who did a fantastic job. Enjoy the episode and I'll be back next week. On with the podcast. I don't know how I feel about this one. It's, um, it, it might be a bit mean. I'm a feminist, but sometimes I laugh at a man's terrible joke just because I can't be bothered dealing with their fragile ego. (laughs) Is it too harsh? I mean, y'all just met me. I'm so sorry. There are some men in the audience that are like, bitch. (laughs) I mean, of course, they're in the guilty feminist audience, so they wouldn't say that, but... But They'd be like, B-word what? Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, you Mm -hmm. didn't. Uh -uh. I mean, if somebody's joke is terrible, do you just laugh just to kind of keep the conversation going? I'm quite bad at laughing because I noticed I was getting, oh God, this is probably I'm a feminist, but I noticed a while ago I was getting crow's feet and now I'm a bit reluctant to laugh because I'm like, I'm not deepening knees for that. You're a feminist, but you stop laughing so you don't have, you like reduce your crow's feet. I mean, unnecessary laughter. <laughs> if I really feel it, like if I see a child fall in the puddle, <laughs> don't get me wrong, I'm going to laugh at that, obviously. But if I someone mean, makes a pun, I'm like, hmm. <laughs> wow. I mean, mm. that's... Mm. Mm. <laughs> Should just Botox my whole face and then I could be like, ha, 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 with a smooth moon face. <laughs> and I pretty now, mother. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but uh, my boyfriend is Irish, so my handmaid's tail name would be Charming. <laughs> it would be of Dermid. See, no of Nigel here. It'd be absolutely lovely. And I look nice in a hat, so I would enjoy Gilead. Oh, I feel like that's a fine line. Well, yes, it is a fine line. And I'm sure at the first, you know, non-consensual sex ceremony, I'll be thinking, uh, wasn't worth it. Didn't quite like this. The hats, I mean, I could have gotten a hat at the shop. Yeah, could have gotten a hat at the shop and just carried on with my life. I'm a feminist, but sometimes I just want a partner so I can split the rent. Oh, yeah. London living is expensive, yo. For real. Yeah. Like, literally, got financial advice. The guy was like, get a husband. (laughs) He was like, it will reduce all your costs. I was like, you sound like my dad. Dad, what are you doing here? Yeah. I'm a feminist, but I live with two men and I do none of the housework. Ooh. And if they ever ask me... I feel like that's a great me, feminist move. It feels pretty sweet. But if they ever ask me to do so much as wipe a teaspoon, I say my people have been cleaning up after your people. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, they're both white, otherwise it wouldn't really work. <laughs> I mean... I'm not saying that's two black men and they're like, open a book, idiot. <laughs> Stands. Oh my god. Um, yeah, I'm a feminist, but I still rewatched The Departed recently, despite the fact that it deeply and severely fails the Bechtel test and is like slightly racist. 
But I still kept watching it. Have, has anyone seen The Departed? You, you, you know The Departed? Mm. Right. Mark Wahlberg, Marky Mark, what a babe. Unnecessary. Don't um, objectify him. Yeah. In the first few minutes, there's an N-word. I was like, brother. Who's there? I know. And yet I continued. Unsure about what that says about me. Do you feel, though, if, like, a friend walked in and found you watching it, you'd react as if they'd found you watching quite niche pornography and you would leap up and be like, oh, nothing, nothing. I leaned on the remote control and then my whole body went numb and I couldn't change it over. And I know it's Chromecasting, but, like, you know. uh, Yeah, Yeah. look, this is why I live alone. (laughs) You can watch The Departed 24 hours a day. That's why you live alone. And why I pay disgusting amounts of rent. Mm. I'm a feminist, but I cannot get on with my thinks underwear because every time I test the absorbency, so I make a little deposit, I get a sneaky look on my face. (laughs) People ask me what I'm up to. Um, Thinks underwear, I'm sure everyone knows, but like it's this underwear where you don't need to wear tampons when you're on your period because it just absorbs everything. I don't trust it. I don't trust it. I don't trust it. I don't. My friend said I looked like I was laying an egg, and I was like, I am. Sometimes it does feel like that. Yeah. I'm a feminist, but every time somebody talks about removal of hair removal, I announce that Muslim women were the first people to do it because it's true. But also, like, why am I so proud of that? Yeah, what are you winning? What are you winning? Unsure. There? I just want to, I was just like, but we were, that, we were also part of it. FYI. No. Why did Muslim women start removing their hair first? Uh, Please. It was, a, it was a hygiene thing. It was like a, you know, it was like every 40 days, Remove your pubic hair. It's very specific. I thought you're, yeah, that is funny how biblical texts really go into detail about women's <laughs> pubic hair. I mean, and now men's that I'm are like, you're fine. I'm like, I should probably check the sources. <laughs> should we wiki it? I mean, I mean, Wikipedia is not great on Islam generally. Oh, you think like, sure, sure, yeah. This may be contested. Yeah, God. Okay. Body stuff See, is... I just made a Muslim thing weird. Yasmin, you had one job. <laughs> Make the Muslims feel okay. Friendly Muslims. Right. Just don't scare the people. Live from (laughs) Hate This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. Hello, everyone. I'm sorry we're not Deborah Francis White, and I yeah. probably say it at least twice a day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sorry. Between us, maybe we could be three quarters of a Deborah Francis White. Really, we're going to try. Yeah. We're going to do our best. We can do our damn best. Does that sound all right? Good, because there's not a plan B. It's not like she's in my suitcase. <laughs> yeah. not, well, here, have her back. Um, yeah, so Deb is conquering the world. We're actually quite excited, and so, like, it's a bittersweet moment, really. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like we've learnt to ride the bike without our mum, but our mum isn't here to see it, so what's the point in riding a bike at all? (laughs) What she said. Yeah, sort of thing. (laughs) So we'll tell you about the theme for this evening. Mm -hmm. The theme for this evening, it's got a great title, come up with by Deb, thanks Deb, is uh, When to Hold It and When to Fold It. So what this is based on is, right, so apparently... 43% 43% of people coming out the Irish re- referendum were polled and 43% said that they had voted yes based on personal testimony of women in the media. And like another 35% said that they'd voted yes to repeal the 8th based on personal testimony of people in their lives, which is amazing for those women to have shared their stories. But at what cost? And that's kind of the idea, is the fact that feminism and the the fact that we have to when we're trying to change people's mind we have to use our personal experience our trauma in order to get people to change their minds and yes it's really powerful but what does it cost us as individuals who are trying to advocate for change do we have to constantly be re-traumatizing if we're advocating for rape do we constantly have to talk about that time advocating against rape oh sorry yeah yeah no wow <laughs> wow there's a bit left field yes <laughs> Not get off that soapbox, mate. It's not a moment. (laughs) So, if we're advocating against rape, obviously, or let's say to give women choice and so on, do we have to be using our own personal experiences and going over our experiences every time we do it? It is a reminder of a trauma. And how fair is that? Uh, Yeah, I feel that quite strongly. I think I haven't shared much on Twitter. It was particularly personal, but I um. 
about six years ago, I did an Edinburgh Fringe show about anorexia because I wanted to like, because I'd had it for years and I wanted to like reach out and like maybe help people who were going through it or were going through something similar. However, when you do a show about your anorexia 28 nights in a row, you don't don't feel great by the end of it. And in fact, you get a bit thin. And... (laughs) Ooh. Ooh. And I was two weeks in and people were like, are you eating? And I was like, I'm not eating. It's ironic, but I, I'm, yeah, I'm not opening with it. So there definitely is a point where like, it's one thing to share your story once. And then when you find yourself sharing it again and again and again, you can feel a bit squeezed up and used out. Yeah. And I think like, it's funny because a lot of the stories, like my first book was a memoir. So so many strangers know weird facts about me that I have voluntarily decided to kind of put out in the world. I have people come up to me and ask, like, how is your brother Yasin? And I'm like, I don't know. You were a random Slovenian man, right? How, like, but because they've read my book and because it's, you know, information that I have voluntarily divulged. And Mm -hmm. when I was writing the book, you know, it was between me and the screen, me and the editors. It wasn't necessarily something that I realized everyone would consume and make their own and then sort of reflect judgments back. But it's also something that women tend to do a lot of. And I guess it's like a woman's experience tends to be seen as like her own rather than universalized, right? So like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny you say that though, because I wrote a memoir. Where, how old were you when you wrote your memoir? Disgustingly young. I was 23 when I started writing. Oh my I God. Know, I know. Even I was, like, I was like, this is fucking ridiculous. Do I really have wisdom? Um, and it was 24 when it was published. So like genuinely people were like, you're basically still an embryo. Like what, <laughs> what do you have to contribute to the world? I, you know, also wonder. But somebody paid me, so I was like, yeah, sweet. The gig economy is rough, you know, I'm going to take what I can get. Yeah, right. I also find that, like, so I wrote mine when I was 28, and I was like, I feel this way about certain things, and I will always feel this way. Mm -hmm. And as soon as it was in the shops, I was like, I regret about 30% of that. Oh, my God. There are chapters in my, like, I don't recommend people read it because I'm a very different, I'm like, I'm I'm 27. I turned 27 a couple months ago. I can't read my own memoir because I'm like, good Lord, you're an insufferable ideological like who are you like why did you think these things also there's a whole chapter on how what should I oh go on all right so there's a a chapter called boys inshallah which is like if god wills (sighs) go on (laughs) do go on I mean there was I was just like so idealistic about how you know, my relationship with men was going to be a particular way at 23. And I wrote all these things down. And like, and now I look back, I'm like, girl, you should not have put anything in writing about how, you know, you were going to be so fucking, this idea of what it's called like a bismillah baby, right? Which is essentially like a Muslim girl who just like looks like a nun and acts like a nun and is very proud of being a nun. Yeah. But like the Muslim version. We obviously. didn't have a lot of them in Watford, but we'd read about them. Right. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I was definitely that. Not anymore. Wow, I'm saying this in a place where my mother might hear it. Um, so glad my mum can't work a podcast. <laughs> Can I download it? No, it's not no, one of those podcasts. It's, it's not no. available anywhere, no. actually. No. <laughs> it is a bad business model. Yes, it is. Oh. Just writing a memoir at a very young age is awkward. Um, but if someone offers you money, you're like, yes. Mm. I was waitressing. I was like, and, you know, all due respect to waitressing, I very much enjoyed it. But like, yeah, pay me, I'll write a bloody book. So wait, did you decide to stop talking about your personal experiences? Yeah, but only about two years ago. So what was the catalyst? I had shamed myself hard. I really had. Because I, I was a stand-up comedian from like 25 onwards for eight years. And um, I always just used to talk about anything that came to me. You know, if I thought something, I said it. And I was really open and I had no boundaries. And I don't know why. Someone should have told me to have boundaries and no one did. And I think there was the Edinburgh show about my anorexia, which mm. did some real mental health damage. And then there was an Edinburgh show about my breakup with my boyfriend. And he also was at the Edinburgh Festival doing... Oh a show about his breakup with me and then we were also doing a sketch show together Wow! and we got loads of press interviews so there's some person literally shaking their head yeah being like bad idea where were you three years ago why didn't you say Nat do you think this might be just a terrible idea I was like I'm sure it'll be fine sure it'll be absolutely fine and we go and have press interviews and they'd sit they're all bubbly across the desk from us in like a radio studio and say like so tell me about the day you broke up wow Well, it wasn't fun, obviously. Yoy. Yeah. I mean, I'm stressed even thinking oh, about it. Oh, I'm and so I wasn't stressed. There. And also, I've got like, so I was raised watching Bottom. Does everyone know the TV show Bottom? 
Did you grow up with bottom? Mm, I mean, I grew up with a bottom, but sure. no, not the show. We all had a, a bottom one. and bottom on the TV, <laughs> which was two middle-aged men being disgusting and like just really kind of dirty and grotty and grubby. And that's the sort of comedian I wanted to be. I wanted to be Rick Mail. And I remember someone saying to me, you can't be because you're a girl. And I was like, watch me, mother fluffer. <laughs> and so I would just tell kind of quite gross stories. And I still do. And then I was single for six years. And I thought, I think I could tell why. Because <laughs> if someone came to a gig and they'd be like, oh, I quite like that brunette comedian. And then she'd tell a story about pooing herself in a zoo. I feel like it's, you know, very attractive. The vulnerable. Oh, I'm the, go on. It's I, coming. Oh, it's literally. coming. It's coming. <laughs> Please welcome Nat Lutzima. Hello, Hey Festival. Thank you very much for that. Um, so I write books for teenage girls, and I'm quite big on the fact that, like, I think as a teenage girl, I felt a lot of shame about my body. I think, like, at this point, men are always like, ooh, but I'm one to directions. I'm like, I know, I do get that. I'm sure that must be very weird, and bus journeys must be a nightmare of high-risk proportions. But, like, a lot of odd things happen to you as a girl when you start having your periods and stuff like that, and I always just sort of wanted to normalise it. So I do give some quite disgusting book talks um, and I do it quite a bit on stage as well and so when I was doing this show about anorexia it's quite hard to loll up anorexia and you can't begin with like anybody else because you know woo does bulimia count sure sure friend welcome on in really inclusive really I'm soups mm. inclusive but a little side effect of you know anorexia is you will often neck laxatives like their tic tacs if you really like Tic Tacs. I'm just thinking about it. Most people take one. No, you'll be a five Tic Tac person. And I was in Switzerland on a, doing a stand-up tour and I was having a lovely time. I was with a friend and we saw a little Swiss child fall over and we both went, Swiss roll! <laughs> so we were having a smashing time. And I was wearing uh, some very tight trousers that I owned at the time. I was quite unpleasantly thin and for some reason I thought I should showcase it <laughs> so I was just Tim Burtoning around the place on my spindly little legs um, they were so tight God knows where I bought them now because like if I dropped something I just didn't own it anymore <laughs> oh, bye. I was walking along and I just suddenly got a feeling in my stomach that swiftly moved elsewhere and I pooped myself now now it was small it was very small it was like a very small wet mouse Okay, imagine a mouse, make it very wet, oh. remove the tail, actually keep the tail. Mm. Yeah. And so I said to my friend, I don't feel very well, please. And he said, oh, shall we go back to the hotel? And I said, yes, please, swiftly, please. And he said, why are you walking like a cowboy? And I was like, can you not? Don't want to talk about it, thank you. And he very sweetly called us a cab. And the cab pulled up and I realised... If I sat in the cab, oi, oi, it's going to be like stamping on a tube of toothpaste. But there's no mintiness here. No mintiness at all. So I had to, at this point, I did tell him what had happened. And so I sort of crabbed on in and got the man to open up the sunroof and just stood with my head through the sunroof, <laughs> leaving the cab driver and my friend to deal with my lower body. <laughs> which didn't do anything else for the rest of the day, but it had really disgraced itself thus far. So, yes. I was telling stories like that when I was doing my anorexia show because I do think like, there was so much shame around bodies and it would be really nice if we didn't feel quite so ashamed about them. To be fair, there is very little I won't turn into an anecdote. I think it's quite a healthy coping mechanism. But do you ever find yourself doing it and then you think, am I, am I a bit dead inside? Because <laughs> my father had a brain hemorrhage. And fine now, and plus point, we can all spell hemorrhage because we had to text it so many times. So what an absolute bonus for everybody. It's a very difficult word. And um, he was lying in intensive care. And I don't know if you've ever been in intensive care, but there's always someone who's really, really bad in there and it makes you feel better because they're not your person. But it was our person. Bummer. Um, and you can see people nodding at the room being like, he's really bad. Like, oh, all right. And he was lying in bed and we weren't allowed in the room because any extra stress in his brain might pop again. And he had a machine that was like going, beep, beep. And I don't know what it was doing, but it was clearly important. And mum stood next to him and I walked in. And my dad is, um, is it helpful to just say, he's a dad. You know, shut the bloody door. I'm not heating half of Watford. 
you can't reverse parallel park, dad things, you know, you know. <laughs> and I went, I went in, I'd rushed from home, and mum said, how did you get here? And I said, never you mind. And she said, did you drive your dad's car? Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> shh, 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 it's fine, it doesn't matter what I did. She said, where did you park? If you parked at the bottom of the car park, you're going to get a parking ticket. Beep, 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 beep. And did you turn the heating off? Because if you didn't, it's still heating from when he collapsed eight hours ago. Beep, 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 beep. Never been strong-armed out of intensive care by a nurse holding my hand up behind the back, but it happened. Jesus. Sometimes I think I do deliberately stupid things just so I have a good story to tell afterwards. And like, invariably, the humiliation is mine. But I definitely... It was when you said, when did I stop telling humiliating stories about myself? I do remember. I was in Paris, and my friend saw a sign for a sex sauna. And he said, do you want to go in? And I thought, no. But then I thought, oh, I might get a story out of it. And, uh, you know, when you're in the middle of something, you think, ah, oh, is an anecdote worth this? <laughs> We got there and this, you've got to take all your clothes off but keep a pair of shoes on. Mm. And I should have said why, and if they'd have told me, I'd have left, but I didn't. I just went, oh, lovely. Oh, lovely. Have you been working here long? It's lovely. I like your hair, like you've done with your hair. Uh, and we went and we walked along, naked except for shoes, which, I mean, try it at home if you haven't already. <laughs> It feels so ungainly. I don't mean like stilettos are naked. I mean like flap, flap, flap. I was in flip-flops, so I was just bouncing around the place. And we got into the main sexual area. It was 3 p.m., so there was no one there. Um, <laughs> the people had probably stopped like early in the morning before, but we got an early bird deal. She was in there, and I suddenly realised why, why you wear shoes in there. It's because the floor was covered in... Thank you. Thank you. I'm not saying the word. If someone next to you looks confused, you whisper, come in their ear. <laughs> they won't thank you for it. And then go, wet mouse. And they're like, do you know what? You are pushing my last nerve. And I'm in flip-flops. So with every step, I'm flicking it. I, I, Back of my leg. Oh, no, mighty. Yeah. Yeah. So that is why I stopped doing stand-up because I just could not be trusted to not tell people disgusting stories about myself. And just occasionally I'll be doing a book reading for teenage girls and I'll just sort of launch into a story and I see my publicist at the back of the room going, not that one. <laughs> not that one. Um, so uh, you wanted that Switzerland story and, uh, but you regret it now. Hello, it's Deborah again. Our crossover season is next weekend, Friday the 30th of August to Sunday the 1st of September. We're mashing up The Guilty Feminist with six other podcasts and performing those individually live on stage. So it's The Guilty Feminist meets No Such Thing as a Fish in No Such Thing as a Guilty Feminist. We're hooking up with Hoovering, with Jessica Fosterkew, who was just nominated for the Edinburgh Comedy Award, in The Hungry Feminist. We're mashing up with All Killer, No Filler, All Killer, No Feminism, and with Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast, otherwise known as Rilla Histopa, in Rilla Histopagrapher. We're doing the Feminist Bugle. We're doing Drunk Guilty Feminist Solving Crime. And tickets are going fast, with some shows already sold out. So get in there and get your tickets now at kingsplace.co.uk. On Sunday the 8th of September, I'll be at Queen Elizabeth Hall, talking to Guilty Feminist favourite and comedy superstar Sarah Pascoe about her new book, Sex, Power, Money. Could anything sound more enticing? You can get tickets now by going to southbankcentre.co.uk. Don't miss it. On Monday the 9th of September, I'm doing the actual real-life Margaret Atwood's book launch. That's right, the book is set in the Handmaid's Universe and it's called The Testaments. We don't know any more about it than that. It's going to be at Waterstones Piccadilly and starting at 8.15, there's other absolutely incredible women on the bill, plus Neil Gaiman. And at midnight, Margaret Atwood herself in real life will come out and do a reading from her book. Now, of course, tickets for this sold out in minutes, but they might be releasing some more. So watch my Twitter feed at Deborah FW and or at Guilt Femme Pod. And if any more are released, I will let you know right away. Now, we have merch. Yes, finally. I know people have been asking for absolutely ages. 
you can get official Guilty Feminist t-shirts, hoodies, notebooks, tote bags, mugs, and I'm a feminist, but aprons and tea towels, that's right, in a variety of fashionable colours and sizes. Our share of the income from this will go to the Guilty Feminist Pot for Good Things, which includes projects like Suffragedon, charitable projects we want to do, and paying our ever-increasing female team behind the scenes that make our expanding operation work like proper feminists. To get your merch now, go to guiltyfeministshop.com. While you're there, you can also click on my book. Now out in paperback with a sexy new cover and interviews by Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Hannah Gadsby. Pick up a copy now or have me read it to you while you eat grapes and a hammock on the audiobook. Now, many of you will be going to see Fleabag in the West End and others of you will have missed out and you'll be doing the lottery to try and get a ticket to see Phoebe Waller-Bridge live on stage in her original one-woman show. Whether you could get tickets or whether you couldn't, our Phoebe has released an exciting new play text with additional material, including a forward by me, talking a little bit about the origin of how Fleabag came about at a Spontaneity Shop event in 2012. It was a real honour to write the forward and I hope you really enjoy it. Check out our socials to see what's going on. On Instagram, I'm dfdubs with a Z and or the guilty feminist. And please, please, please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help other people to find it, build it and grow it. And while you're there, give us five stars. Now back to the podcast. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. That's greenlight.com ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Please welcome Yasmin Abdul-Majid. So here's the thing, I really like exercise, but I don't like being one of those people that likes exercise. Do you know what I'm saying? There's probably people in this audience that are those people, and I'm really sorry. I mean, like, you're, you're great. I'm sure you're really nice. But I like, I'll be going through Instagram on a Saturday morning, and I'll be like, how did you get the energy to wear that much active wear, run a marathon, and then come out looking glowing, <laughs> right, being like, oh, there was a headwind, but I just breezed through. I'm not here for your fucking pun. It's 10.30 in the morning. If I ever choose to run, right, <laughs> here's the thing. Nobody looks at me and thinks that I should be running. My little brother has got it sorted. My little brother looks like Mo Farah. Right, And by looks like Mo Farah, he's just like a skinny black guy. They don't look anything alike. But, you know, you get the vibe. <laughs> I just like, needed a reference. Right, My little brother's like tall and skinny. And when he's running, people are like, oh, he's training for the Olympics. Or running for his like, food for his malnourished family. One of the two. Right? <laughs> a very shocked face in the front. It's okay. You know, we all have to do it. Um, we don't. <laughs> But when I'm running, people don't look at me and they're like, oh, there's a young woman who's looking after her figure. They're like, oh, shit. If she's running, 
should we be running to? Like, fuck, what is she running from? Right? Like, when I'm running, I look like I've left, lost, like, my baggage at the airport unattended, right? Or that, like, I've ate a bad curry and I'm, like, I'm on the tube, right? Or, like, my running does not look like it should be happening at all, right? I, I look like I'm definitely running from some sort of problem. Or there's, like, a Fenty beauty sale and I'm, like, I, I got to be... That made sense to about... 30% of the audience. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, but this is the thing, right? Running is clearly not my sport of choice. I prefer to pick sports where I can, like, make other people uncomfortable because I clearly am not meant to be there. So I started sailing, right? Because that's obviously what a Sudanese woman is meant to do, right? It, it wasn't going to be swimming because do you remember Eric the Eel? Do you remember Eric yes. the Eel in the Olympics? Eric the Eel is the best swimmer in Africa. Like... <laughs> And you saw how that ended. So we're not meant to be in the body of water, right? <laughs> On top, maybe. But it's quite interesting. I joined the Royal Perth Yacht Club. And um, my skipper, his name was Charlie. He was like, how you going, love? What's your name? I was like, my name's Yasmin. He's like, I'm not going to remember that. I'm just going to call you Serena. <laughs> I mean, okay. Think of the one black woman, you know. I mean, she is the best sports person of all time, so I'm all right with that. But sure, he was like, why'd you decide? I was like, I'm, I'm gonna somehow turn this around. Why'd you decide to join the yacht club? Well, I'm in the people smuggling business. <laughs> Charlie had no idea what to do. <laughs> he was like, right, righto, right. I, I guess you'll need to learn how to tie knots then. <laughs> Ooh, dark. <laughs> And then I also, at the beginning of this year, I decided to learn how to ski. Because where else should a Sudanese-born woman go except a mountain of ice, right? <laughs> My family was very confused. But it turns out there are no black people that ski. In fact, a Swiss person told me that when they see a black person on the mountain, it's like a leprechaun and I'm good luck. <laughs> Literally, I'm a literal magic negro. <laughs> I was like, I hope some of that luck comes back to me because I've just been rolling down this mountain and it's not a Swiss roll, it's just very unattractive, right? There was no, I was like, maybe I'll find a rich Swiss husband. No, no Swiss men were like, hot damn, mm-mm. They were just like, where did she come from? <laughs> but my favorite sailing story is this. So I started sailing and I got cocky very quickly. Big mistake. There was one afternoon, I was in like a jumpsuit, like a, a Sunday brunch jumpsuit, right? It was like cotton material. And I was like, I'm just going to go out on the river and have a bit of a sail. This is going to be great. I'd been sailing just long enough that I'd gotten a few skills, but clearly not enough to kind of know exactly what I was doing. I just looked like I knew what I was doing. You know, that kind of where you just, everyone else is like, yeah, she knows what they're doing, but people that actually know what they're doing are like, mm-mm, <laughs> shit is going to get fucked up. <laughs> so it was, it, was, it was a little too windy. Anyway, so I'm going out and there's this kind of regular course that I usually do. Um, so I did that a couple of times, and then my little boat flipped over. You know, I fell in the water, got back up. It wasn't a problem. I had a little rip in my jumpsuit just kind of under the crotch. It was very small, though, so I was like, oh, it'll be fine. And then I go back to the shore just to kind of, like, check in, and they're like, yeah, no, it's fine. You know, you've got another hour to go. And just kind of stay on the main, the main area where everybody else is. And I was like, all right, I got this. She was like, would you like a um, life jacket? I was like, no, it's fine. She was like... Just, just wear it. I was like, all right, girl. So I get back out, and I'm on one of those Hobie cats. Do you know what a Hobie cat is? It's like, it's like a little catamaran. So the wind is going fast enough that I'm, like, flying. So I've got one of the hulls in the water, the other one's in the air. I'm like, yeah, this is legit. <laughs> going to smuggle so many people. Yeah. Going to be the best. No, I just, disclaimer, do not smuggle people. <laughs> just in case anyone contacts me after the podcast. <laughs> Not, not in that business. Anyway, so I'm get, and then I do a tack, which means I turn. I think. Anyway, I, <laughs> I'm real good at this. I turn, but too quickly. The boat flips over again. The boat flips over with such force that I am thrown into the water and my jumpsuit explodes. <laughs> Literally, like shreds. Like very, this was not, you know, organic cotton. That was, no, this was just like some cheap, it just exploded, right? Two problems, many problems. Um, <laughs> it was laundry day. I was wearing 
my worst undergarments, like the stuff that had been washed so many times, pretty much not there, right? <laughs> also, my headscarf, somewhere in the wind, right? Gone, no idea. And I, at the time, had a massive afro, so my afro was just like, Moing! you know, like making an appearance. Also, the boat decided to start sailing away, right? <laughs> glasses, no, I usually wear glasses. Glasses were nowhere to be seen. So I'm there, right? My boat's going this way. I'm like, as I said, not really meant to be in the water. Not that good at swimming. I can survive, but it looks like I'm literally drowning, right? So you got all these people who are like sailing past. They're like, do you need help? I'm like, I'm fine. I'm just meant to be here. You know, this is, this is where I'm, I'm meant to be. Two boys on a Hobie cat sail past. I could just about tell that they were men from like the lack of glasses. They were like, do you need any help? I'm like, no, no, I'm, I'm an independent woman. I can save myself. <clears throat> Could not. They come back, right? And they were like, hey, um, you look like you need help. Can we help you out? And I was like, oh, uh, not, not wearing any clothing. And they look at each other. They're like, we know. <laughs> the water's clear. <laughs> Damn Perth's clean water. <laughs> anyway, um, one of the men offers up his Hawaiian T-shirt. So I put it on. And then I attempt to get on the boat. Have you ever tried to get on the boat from the water? <laughs> it was the most unattractive. <laughs> like, no, I, I made a beached seal look sexy, right? I was out here, like, one leg up, like, and, you know, as I said, very little undergarments, right? And this, like, Hawaiian shirt. You know, I was hoping the Hawaiian shirt, like, when he offered me up the Hawaiian shirt, I'm like, yes, it's going to be one of these billowing things. No, it was a muscle Hawaiian shirt. This thing was tight already, and I was like, wow. So I eventually, like, get back up on the boat. I was like, how's it going? <laughs> mm-hmm. End up they took me back to shore. And so what we had was, you know, a fully dressed Muslim woman left the shore and came back <laughs> as a very scantily dressed woman wearing an afro. The person didn't actually recognize me. Um, <laughs> and I was like, I've just assimilated. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Are you ready for the guests? It's going to be amazing. I'm going to go first. We've got Bryony Gordon, who is an award-winning journalist, writer, memoirist, and in fact has recently won an award for the Mind in Media Awards, presented to her by Stephen Bloody Fry himself. Please welcome to the stage, Bryony Gordon. <laughs> Woo! Hi, 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 hi. hi. Yes. Hi, and next up onto the stage, we have the awards-winning broadcaster, journalist, writer, your favourite person, Laurie Penny! <laughs> we really did not plan that well. No, there are no stairs, so just people listening at home, our guests have just had to sort of vault up onto the stage. But uh, just like putting obstacles well. in people's way, really. Life yeah. isn't hard enough as it is. Actually, right. the show has got slightly off topic because our topic was how much do you share as a feminist of yourself uh, to sort of promote your activism? I literally ran a marathon in my underwear two months ago. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. What sort of underwear? Talk me through it. Not sexy underwear because I'm Not quite Yasmin large. Not Yasmin's when sailing. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I really felt your pain. Yo. I'm not going to show you, but... Um, you still have chafe marks. Oh, my God, I have scars. They're like... Oh, my Lord. But I, well, I like running. Um, uh, <clears throat> I know, but I don't... No, actually, I don't like it, but I, I know, well, I, know, I, I know no, it's good no, for me. Yeah. How fascism starts, running. <laughs> yes, running? Isn't it? Sorry, that, that was an aside, but I really do, like, I worry about people who run. Have you seen, like, The Guardian is obsessed with running now. Every time I, I click on the lifestyle section, because it's, like, it's so aspirational. There's always, <laughs> but, like, you know, you're meant to be making apples out of felt, and, you know, <laughs> there was apples out of felt once, yeah. and then it was, like, how is your running today? I'm like, I don't run from it. I'm running from, like, reality and like, men on <laughs> That's what I like about it. I couldn't run for a bus 18 months ago. And, I've done, and how long I was, was like, this one? I, this, <laughs> I've done two marathons now. Damn. And, and I did it in my underwear. Yes. And we raised, we raised £60,000 for Heads Together. Oh, my mental God. Mental health charity. But I did the second one in my underwear because I, I did it with a mate who's a plus-size model. And we wanted to show that running is for everybody and all sorts of body shapes. And I wanted to get the cellulite out and the C-section scar. And it was... 
It was amazing. It was really hot. It was the London Marathon, so it was quite useful. Yeah. The, the, uh, Did you train in your underwear? Or was well, it no? we had to go Good to... It, it was cold, so we couldn't oh, really... Yeah. We had to go to Ibiza. We didn't you have to. to yeah. I mean, now I see why running is attractive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> didn't realise you went via Ibiza. We had to find somewhere we could train where it was like warm and where we wouldn't be arrested. Uh, no um, one batted an eyelid. Like we even ran through a building site and they were like... <laughs> I mean, definitely. You could. Sudan is warm. Probably wouldn't recommend it. No. For running in underwear. No, I mean, no, don't knock no, it till you've tried it. I'm really hating onto that. It's a great point. Don't know. Go for holiday. Yeah. I, no, I don't know. Okay. okay. Continue. <laughs> Look, there, there are not pictures of me in my underwear out there, which I'm kind of like sad about, actually. The kind of feminism I do is not... I talk a lot about, you know, getting rid of shame and, you know, desire, and I'm writing a whole book about, you know, a bit more sexy stuff than I've done in the past. But like, I've been told I'm not very good at this whole personal branding thing that you're meant to do because, you know, we're all like self-actualized units of auto-tailorism under late capitalism. Yes. <laughs> but, but I've been told that, like, it's a bit off-brand for me to, like, be posting, hey, I'm looking good today pictures but my long-term strategy is to be very indiscriminate with my nudes in the hope that someone someday will leak me but (laughs) like but like every single person I've sent a nude to like there may have been one or two like has been like this is such I will never send this to anyone else you know (laughs) no one will ever know like Like, that's not the point because if that happened then I could you know I could do one of those like my my body has been stolen from me by patriarchy I must reclaim it by posting all the news it's like how good I'm looking today hey yeah one in the eye for you <laughs> That's my strategy. You said, well, now I can't do it because I've, I've, I've revealed this strategy. But that but, does uh, say that you send, you choose people well, that you have sent your nudes I know, to very discreet I've got, and pleasant I've got people. Good ta- well, no, I don't. Yeah. I think there's a certain kind of person with a certain kind of attitude to risk who, on hearing I am a feminist investigative journalist, <laughs> sure. chooses, chooses to go on a second date. Right. <laughs> you know, I must say, natural selection. Yeah, it is, isn't it? A word of advice: if you did want your nudes leaked, I would send them to my mother because the most unusual photos <laughs> pop up on the WhatsApp group. <laughs> and she's always like, "Sorry, that was the cat. I didn't mean to do that." And now she's like, "Sorry, that's Laurie Penny's vagina." <laughs> Sorry. That's fine, mother. So, has there ever been something that you were like, "I can absolutely not share," or like, how do you decide what the boundaries are about what to share and what not to? I mean, I don't, I'm like you, I don't We got no boundaries. boundaries. Why didn't someone teach us boundaries well, I, as children? I think that, you know, you say, what cost? Like, for me, mm. I grew up feeling so ashamed of being myself mm. and everyone going, yeah. you know, people say that they don't feel that they're enough. I yeah. felt I was too much because yep. mm. I was always going, bleh, 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 bleh. and the first thing that came into my head, I sort of said, and then was like, play it cool with guys. Yeah, right, right, just, right. No, I couldn't. No, 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 no. And when I started writing, and I've done three books now all about, and one was, you know, my last one was about, my own mental illness but it's about like reclaiming that and just saying this is me and you know what cost for me is like going to a bank and them giving me money because (laughs) no but because when I write about all this stuff that used to make me feel like a freak when I was growing up and Mm. then what happens is people come up to me and tell me their stories and I'm Mm. like oh I'm just it's like really normal to feel weird right Mm. yeah the really weird people are the people that claim to be normal all the time yeah it is true so So true it's like for me an incredibly healing thing do you think it's something that I mean has it been a healing thing for you as well uh no actually no 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 it hasn't no no it's it's odd actually it has been in some respects and there are some like stories I've told in the course of my work and I do think well there's a thing that happens in literary fiction in particular where men write a story that's you know based on their lives and it's called literature and then women do exactly the same thing and it's called confessional writing You know, and there is a certain shame attached to telling your own story. And a lot of women who do this are embarrassed about it. There's a vague sense that that's not real. Either it's not real art, it's not real activism. But the fact is, since Me Too, since the abortion referendum, there is the the incredible power of women sharing stories. And and it sounds like such a cliche when you say it. That's why I hate talking about it, because it makes me sound like a bloody hack. You know, it's like, oh, this, this just all goes to show what can happen when we share our stories together. It's like, all right, Barney the dinosaur. <laughs> Back in your... But no, but it's true. That is exactly what it does go to show. I face a lot of harassment mm-hmm. online. 
And um, that has really... Affected. You've undersold that. Like, yes. It's like, like tsunamis <laughs> of yeah. hate, essentially. And you are saying that as a Muslim woman who is on the internet. <laughs> so, like, that's, I feel like coming from you that's like, oh, it's real. It's Thank real. You. It's a thing. <laughs> Can confirm. Yeah. And it means that I am very aware that anything I say or do online will be taken out of context, will be twi- any single line, and it makes you paranoid and it also means that there are certain things I feel I can't ethically share and they're the things that involve other people mm-hmm. um, which I might otherwise want to you know things that involve members of my family people I've dated and you'd be happier to share them to a sympathetic audience yeah, because but you know even, there's such vitriol out there maybe. but it also it opens those people up to stuff yeah. they might not be ready to deal with getting beyond that and staying in the room with that as someone who writes and who tries to do activism through writing which is kind of the only way like I, it makes me feel better being a writer like because sometimes you feel you like you actually of the four of us have a real job I mean, yeah. like, you, like you're, you're like actor like we were saying about just like you're oh uh, author journalist writer that's just memoirist like, memoirist. <laughs> you've just said writer four times yeah. <laughs> like, it's a mechanical engineer mechanical i mean yeah. the grab hold of yasmin and the three of us will be like, guys, please don't eat me. <laughs> we can write about the experience. Can we? No, oh, they're eating us. They're just eating us. Fine. Yeah, it's like somebody has, you know, a role behind the perimeter fence yeah. following the zombie invasion. Like, Do you need any more writers? No, no, no. They've got zero and they're at capacity I mean, on writers. But at least you'd be able to communicate. Like the engineers tend to not be able to communicate at all. They'd just be like, all right, we fixed it. I can imagine you must Full have been stop. a very valuable <laughs> engineer. You fixed it because I couldn't fix anything. I mean, you just was. Yeah, but but the engineers are not going to fix the patriarchy. Well, I? I mean, no, we're definitely doing a part, though. I do love being an engineer, though. However, it's interesting, and we were talking about this earlier. I think I'm probably part of that group that has felt very self-conscious about, like, not feeling that what my writing is because a lot of my writing is based on experiences not feeling that's real literature. And yep. in the hierarchy of the world of literature, it's not like memoirist. There's a I whole bunch of... up, mate. It feels very low beneath that as well. You're just like, ugh. But I mean, like I remember my, my publisher was just like, oh, there's a bunch of things that we can't put your work into because it's under memoir. It's not under nonfiction, for example. You're not eligible for certain awards because it's considered memoir, not nonfiction. And so like even that inherently was, again, that idea of our work or our experiences as women doesn't get to be literature in the same way. And so I've definitely felt, allowing myself to call myself a writer, still feel very self-conscious about that. But and, and yet, sorry, but like if, if any of the four of us were to write a uh, janky self-help book about lobsters, for example, <laughs> it would not be considered a great pinnacle of intellectual, you know, Western <laughs> intellectual tradition right now. It's like the great philosopher of our age. Uh, maybe you should stand a bit more like a lobster. That's the insight. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm dissing on, on Jordan Peterson at the moment, oh. which is my favourite. Jordan favorite. B. Peterson. Jordan Peterson. No, I don't want to be Jordan. Oh, it's that's isn't it? Jordan, Jordan B. B. Peterson. Can, I think he gave himself a little it, initial to if be you like. Say it, if you say it three times, Jordan oh God, no. comes out of the internet no. and corrects like, you. I think yeah. that, like, when people listen to me, oh, you know, confessional journalism, and I think, oh, fuck. And it's really powerful. And, the, the, you know, the stories I hear on a daily basis mm. into my inbox are just mind-blowing. Mm. And so there is real fucking value to it. And we shouldn't be ashamed of ourselves. you just feel so vulnerable sharing sometimes, don't you? When it comes like a big work of fiction, when you share something. Like, the hashtag MeToo movement so easily could have been three women saying these things on social mm. media and everyone being like, didn't happen. I, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It took so much bravery to be those early people who like put your yeah. stories out there and like, yeah. Can I say something about the Me Too before everyone goes? There is this story being told that, you know, women came and they told their stories and now, you know, you know men are the ones now under attack and men are the ones suffering because we have told all these Me Too stories. But like the last six months, I've seen women who have told those stories be absolutely crucified and I've seen them suffering and be not believed and there has been much more support than normal but the idea that there is this great triumph for these women and that they don't need support is a complete lie so I think if you know anyone like that you see anyone like that in your kind of online world like just remember that they are going through some shit as well and have been for a very long time so like that's no, that's very true. I think I'm too quick to... Yeah, sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. No, I think I'm too quick to be like, yeah, I'm very positive about it because there's a positive thing in that, but it's not a happy ending. It's, not, it's so neat to put it into a neat, tidy narrative, but that's not the case 
Um, and no, and you're very right to say that. Yes, yeah, thank the, you. The patriarchy isn't going to give up its oh, power. Oh, no, it's yeah. wily. It's like a zombie. It's like a worm. You cut it in half, you've got two patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they're smaller, but they're still deadly. <laughs> Laurie Penny has a book here right now. I wrote a book called Butch Doctrine. It's uh, in the bookshop if you'd like it, or uh, if you're on the internet, you know, from from the internet. internet the internet's got everything. <laughs> yeah. You have you got a book out right now? I, I've got book. Many came out books. On Thursday. There, Thursday. And fresh off the press, and guys. And it's called Eat, Drink, Run. Nice. And Very you, nice. And you only need to like to do two of the things. You don't have to do a third. She will talk you through the third and you'll be like, nah, I'm no, good. No, just eat and drink. Nah, I'm good. <laughs> and that is our time. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen and everyone in between. Was, wait, hold up. Was there anything you wanted to plug, Nat? My book's here and there's no pooing yourself in it at all. So good thing, bad thing. Uh, it's for teenage girls, but we're all just kids inside. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's it. Thank Another you so much. Person. It was awesome. Hi, yourselves. Thank Sorry, you for having you us. Time. It was amazing. Oh. We hope we did okay as Deborah. Oh, I think your ear mic is crackling, mate. I mean, ear mics aren't made for turbans. No. I'm just, I'm like, it's a, it's a design flaw, right? I'm just saying. Like, that mic time, has othered you. Every it's time somebody you. approaches me with one of these Madonna things, I was like, have you seen Madonna wear one of these? <laughs> <laughs> no. For the listeners on the podcast, I'm wearing a large turban. Hello, Jamila Jamil here. You may know me from my role in The Good Place or from She-Hulk or from social media and my activism. I Way basically started as a social movement and my podcast is one of my truly greatest achievements. It's a podcast against shame and a place for us to have really honest and truly inclusive conversations. I love connecting with people. I love learning. I have a lot to learn and I'm inviting you along with me. On I Way with Jamila Jamil, I have friends, activists, specialists and absolute heroes join me to teach me from their experience and expertise. People like Conan O'Brien, Jane Fonda, Roxanne Gay, Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Byer, Alok, Kelly Roland, and more. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil has new episodes out every Tuesday and you can find the show on earwolf.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile Tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab. Scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now.